BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. When we talk about housing in California, the word crisis gets thrown around a lot. And it's easy to see why. Home prices keep breaking records. Rents keep climbing. And families who've lived here for generations are being forced to leave because they just can't afford it. Or they're commuting for hours because it costs too much to live where they work. Meanwhile, on any given night, more than 150,000 people in California live in tents and cars, RVs and shelters. And the cost of housing has led to these really wild extremes where you have really wealthy people right next to people who have nothing. So what can we do about it? That's the question we've been asking. From KQED Public Media, this is Sold Out, Rethinking Housing in America. I'm Molly Solomon. And I'm Erin Baldessari. We're housing reporters at KQED. We both grew up in the Bay. I'm 33 years old, and I'd really like to buy a home here. But it just, it feels so out of reach. Yeah, I've seen friends leave. I've seen my favorite businesses close. I mean, I've even seen my own family priced out here. And it's sad. More and more, it just feels like this place isn't for us anymore. When we started this project, we were going to do a podcast just looking back at how we got here, at how things got so bad. But then the coronavirus hit. And it was like adding one crisis on top of another. Breaking news tonight, millions of Americans ordered to shelter in place as the coronavirus pandemic spreads. The drastic new measures in the San Francisco area. Residents told to stay in their homes and avoid contact for the next three weeks. We were all told to shelter at home, and people who don't have a home became more vulnerable than ever. The biggest thing that the CDC or anybody has said is hygiene, hygiene, hygiene. But how can you do that if you don't have access to water? Everybody feels like they're not going to take care of them. The economic shutdown left thousands of people without jobs and afraid they wouldn't be able to pay their bills. How am I going to make my payments, pay my mortgages, if the renter doesn't pay theirs? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs just because of this whole shutdown. I have to work three jobs to survive in California. It was already unbearable before. And then, George Floyd was killed by Minneapolis police. People across the country took to the streets to protest Floyd's death and to demand an end to decades, centuries of racist policies that have privileged white lives over black and brown ones. 
we just want to be looked at as humans. We want equality. We should not have to beg to be equal. We should not have to beg to be human. When protesters talk about defunding the police, what they really want is that money to be used for things like health care, education, and housing. If America really cared about a solution, they would do things like give people adequate housing and get everybody a job, you feel me? Like, All of these events, they really reinforce the connection between housing and everything else. Where you live really matters. It determines your chances of getting sick or ending up in prison or going to college or getting a high-paying job. And it feels like we're at a point where something needs to change. We can't go back to housing as usual. So in this series, we're looking at solutions, ideas that might help us chip away at the crisis and make housing more affordable. There won't be any silver bullets, as so many people told us along the way. But what we will do is talk about a few places to begin. Like a way to cut down on the crazy high cost of building in California. Or how housing could be the starting point for reparations. But first, we're gonna look at homelessness, a problem that really has no easy solution. Whenever I talk to someone and tell them I'm a housing reporter, homelessness is literally the first thing they ask me about. What's going on with all the encampments I keep seeing popping up? In the last two years, homelessness in parts of the Bay Area increased up to 50 percent. You can't go anywhere without seeing people living on sidewalks or under freeway overpasses. It's become part of the Bay Area landscape. At the start of the year, California's governor, Gavin Newsom, made it seem like the state was finally ready to do something about it. He even took the unusual step of dedicating his entire state of the state address to homelessness. Let's call it what it is. It's a disgrace that the richest state in the richest nation succeeding across so many sectors is falling so far behind to properly house, heal, and humanely treat so many of its own people. When the pandemic hit, the government did something it's never done before. It started putting thousands of people into hotels fast. We've been reporting on this effort for the past couple months, and we've been wondering what happens next. Are these thousands of people going to be put back out on the streets, or will they be housed for good? So we went to find out. So, man, sometimes I walk around and just shake my keys because I can't. <laughs> it's like jingle bells. It's like Christmas every day. <laughs> when I first moved here, I kept opening the door and closing it because I could walk down the hall, open it. <laughs> I know it seems silly, walk down, just go back upstairs and, oh God. Hi, my name is Sanja Latrice Somerville Trotter. I grew up on 69th Avenue and I'm blessed to be here now. I met Sanja on the seventh floor at her new studio apartment. It's in the heart of downtown Oakland. She's 52 and has been homeless off and on in the Bay Area for a while now. And for the first time in over a decade, she's got her own place again. If it was a little higher up, she'd have a pretty good view of Lake Merritt. Oh, they give you a brand new bed so you don't have to sleep on the floor. And you brought your music too. What kind of music do you listen to? Uh, right now it's keep sweat, but I don't have gospel yet, so mostly movies. With Sanja, it wasn't just one thing that led her to becoming homeless. She'd been in and out of jail, struggling with addiction, and had a lot of trauma from bad relationships, including being raped. But earlier this year, she left a treatment program and realized she had nowhere to go. 
It was March, and she was back living on the streets when a woman from the treatment program called her cell. Um, I got the phone call, and she put me in Radisson, and I was there for like a month. This woman was calling to tell Sanja they had an open hotel room. It was part of something called Project Room Key. That's California's effort to secure 15,000 hotel rooms to quickly house homeless people across the state, to get them off the streets and out of shelters during the pandemic. Governor Gavin Newsom announced the program in April. It's all around making sure that we address the most vulnerable Californians uh, with kind of acuity and focus that is required at this moment. So far, Uh, 22,000 homeless people have gotten rooms through the program. It's hard to overstate just how big of a deal this is. Everyone we've talked to has told us they can't remember a time when the government stepped in to house this many people this fast. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about housing nearly 15 percent of the state's homeless population. It's not everyone, but it's significant. And what's kind of sad is that it only happened because we're in a pandemic. And people were really afraid the virus would spread much more quickly among people living in shelters where they can't socially distance. I talked about that with Dr. Margot Cushell at the University of California in San Francisco. Her research focuses on homeless seniors. It's very hard to isolate. So once an infectious disease gets into that environment, many people get impacted. And then you pile on to the fact that you have people who are older, people with a lot of underlying health conditions, which we know increase the risk of death or severe illness with COVID. And it's a really volatile situation. We were really afraid, and our fears were unfortunately realized with some really terrifying outbreaks. One of those outbreaks was at San Francisco's biggest shelter. Over 100 staff members and residents tested positive. And then there were more cases at other shelters, too. We also were hyper aware of the fact that we were very afraid of um, the possibility of hospitals getting overwhelmed. More now on COVID-19. 14 states have seen increases in hospital patients since Memorial Day. So suddenly you look around and you're, gosh, like, what do we need? Everybody needs a private room with a private bathroom that's not in a hospital because we need the hospitals for people who really need hospitals. This was all happening at the same time that the tourism industry was collapsing. And it was sort of like, you know, peanut butter and chocolate. It was just like, oh, this is a way to solve these problems. From Margot's perspective, giving people housing was like giving them a prescription. When you go out and talk to people who are homeless, you see a lot of people who are sick just normally, not even during a pandemic. I've talked to people who have emphysema, serious heart problems, diabetes. They're out there in the rain and the heat. Living on the street, it really ages you. I'm a physician, and I actually now spend most of my time working on housing. And the reason I do it is I like to say that there is no medicine as powerful as housing. Really, it is hard to overstate how devastating it is, how devastating homelessness is for health. That's true for Sanja, too. She suffers from asthma and PTSD. She needs regular prescriptions to manage both. Getting that room with the Radisson put her on a new path. She's eating well again. She's seeing her therapist. I feel good every day. Got my strength back on. Look good, I might say. It feels good to have a roof over your head, take a hot shower every day, and have something in your stomach. It also put her on her way to getting her own studio apartment, where she's at now. That happened because local governments really don't want to kick people out of the hotels and back out onto the streets. So they're working with housing providers to hook them up with more permanent places to live. 
Sanja says it means she doesn't have to worry so much. It's something she hasn't felt for a really long time. I hate when people say, you can't make it. This place is making it. But you know what? Once they give you this break, it's up to you to go forward. How long has Sanja been homeless? 15 years. It's a long time. Yeah. I'm not going to dwell on it. I made it, so I'm not going to keep... I'm not going to let my past detect my future. Sanja is one person who got housing, but there are so many other people who are still homeless. How did we get to where we have so many people living on the streets of one of the richest cities in the world? That city that Margot Cushel is talking about is San Francisco. It's home to so many tech companies and the people who work for them. Salesforce, Twitter, Uber, Lyft. The median home price right now is $1.5 million. And a two-bedroom apartment could easily set you back $4,000 a month. But despite all this wealth, it's also the epicenter of homelessness in the Bay Area. The most recent survey found more than 8,000 people living on the streets or in shelters in San Francisco, and that's probably not even counting everyone. At the same time, the city spends more than $350 million a year on homeless services and housing. But despite all that, more people become homeless every year. And it's not just San Francisco. Homelessness is growing in places all across the country. And there are so many reasons why. You know, homelessness in some ways is the logical extreme of what happens when you have a society that is so marked by structural racism. The fact is, Black people like Sanja are far more likely to be homeless. Nationally, Black people make up 40% of the homeless population, but only 13% of the population as a whole. And for people who are poor, it can take very little to slip into homelessness, especially when the social safety net in this country is pretty thin. That really sits at the core of what created this housing crisis income inequality, and a desperate lack of deeply affordable housing. In California, there are only 23 units for every 100 people who need affordable housing. And then, of course, there's rent, which keeps going up. And as it does, so does the number of people who become homeless. It could become even worse because of the pandemic. One researcher predicts homelessness in California could rise by as much as 20 percent within the next year. You know, I'm in my 50s and I have not seen a crisis like this in my lifetime. You know, I just keep thinking about 22,000 people housed in hotels. That's a lot. But that means that there are still more than 100,000 people in California who are left out with nowhere to live. Some of the activists I've talked to say it's just not enough. A bunch of people staged a die-in in San Francisco outside of the mayor's house a while back, and they feel like the city, the county, the state, they should all be helping more people get housed. And not just for now, but for good. It seems like there's one thing everyone can agree on, that now is the time to think big, to do more, because we really don't want to send folks back to the street. So how do we make this more permanent? Stick around to hear what it takes to turn a hotel into a home. Coming up on Sold Out.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. My name is Akash Kalia. I am 28 years old. Way before the pandemic, Akash actually did it. He made the switch from hotel to housing at the Palms Inn. I own the Palms Inn. It's a hotel that I converted into permanent supportive housing for formerly homeless veterans and chronically homeless civilians in Sonoma County. Akash literally grew up in his family motel business. As a kid, they spent some time living in the office of an Econo Lodge. You know, like we'd be sleeping in here at a bell go off and my dad would wake up and go check somebody in. It was just our our normal life and like uh, all the housekeepers would, we'd all eat lunch together every day and it was just like, it was kind of like we had extended family. He took over the family business in 2012 as the economy was collapsing in the middle of the Great Recession. My mom called me one day and was like, hey, Kosh, you know, we need help. The next day, Akash dropped out of college, moved back home to rent his parents' struggling motel in Santa Rosa, about an hour north of San Francisco. I was in my early 20s working like 12 to 14 hour days, seven days a week. And I was like, this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. The Palms Inn was a 100-room motel, nothing fancy. Once he took over, Akash started to notice that some of his guests were struggling. There were some people that literally were on the verge of being homeless and and they just needed a safe place and a clean place to to shower and have a clean bed to sleep in or an actual bed to sleep in. He heard about a San Francisco hotel where they converted 135 rooms to housing for veterans. And he saw it as an opportunity and set out to replicate the model for his hotel. And so with that, we started kind of essentially pitching it to all the local nonprofits. And he got support from the head of Catholic Charities. And she was like, you know, let's let's do this. Let's figure this out. This is something we can figure out. Converting the hotel to housing with supportive services required buy-in from the city, county, the VA, and neighbors. Usually, homeless housing gets a lot of pushback. But luckily, people embraced his plan. We had people who, who had bought into this idea and who really wanted to, to make it a reality. So it took us about 10 months working crazy amount of hours and uh, we were able to get it done. Now, the place has rooms for over 100 people, 60 formerly homeless veterans and 44 civilians. And Akash, he filled the place with all kinds of services. A community room with a library, nutritional classes for the residents. We have mobile uh, veterinary clinics that come, a mobile library that also comes. There's a community garden, 12 AA meetings a week. Catholic Charities is there to help people get jobs and make appointments. We have guitar jam sessions, all of these different things um, to kind of to really meet people where they're at. That sounds really nice, like home. And it sounds like what the state is trying to do on a much bigger scale. 
Governor Gavin Newsom has set aside $600 million to buy hotels across California, and cities and counties across the state are applying for that money right now to convert those hotel rooms into new housing. And it all has to happen really fast. They have to buy the hotels by the end of 2020. But Akash said he doesn't think it'll be easy. They'll have to make a lot of things happen. They'll have to go through permitting, meet ADA requirements, ensure the building is up to quality standards, and bring in services for the residents. But the biggest challenge is coming up with the money to pay for all of this for the next five years. So I asked Akash, in spite of all that, is this still a good idea? I definitely think it's a it's a good idea. The cost uh, savings for our community is incredible by housing our most vulnerable population. So what's the pitch to people who say this will cost too much? Akash says to house someone at the Palms costs $13,000 a year. But the average chronically homeless person can cost taxpayers many times that for medical care and interactions with police. And at the end of the day, they're still homeless. His argument isn't just financial, though. It's about the people. Akash has this story. When I was running the Palms as a hotel, uh, there was this older woman that would come and stay maybe twice or three times a month. And then when I ended up uh, transitioning it into permanent supportive housing, she ended up moving in. And she was like, yeah, um, gosh, the reason why I only stayed a couple of times a month is because it took me that long to to save the you know, $50, $60 a night to be able to have a clean shower and, and to sleep on a bed. You know, our homeless population, there are our mothers and our daughters and our fathers and our sons. And we have, you know, a duty as a community to do something for, for our community. When I hear the story from Akash, I think, what can we all do as a hotel operator, as a landlord, as neighbors, for the people that we walk by in the street every day? We know that something as fundamental as a set of keys, a door to lock behind you, a place to feel safe, that can help people get well. A hotel room won't solve homelessness, but for those people that it does help, for people like Sanja, it's everything. But you know what, once they give you this break, it's up to you to go forward. So now I'm staying here, I'm back in church, back connecting with my grandkids, and they got a church program. I sang there on Sunday before. Um, I sung, I sung, my Lord, don't move my mountains, but give me the strength to climb, Lord, 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 please don't take away my stumbling blocks. Next time on Sold Out, we'll talk about California's massive shortage of housing and why it seems like, despite all the construction cranes and all the new buildings going up, rents and home prices don't seem to be going down. One thing that we hear a lot is just how expensive it is to build anything here. So we talked to some people who are trying to remake the way we build. That if we don't figure out how to build housing differently, we're not going to have very much housing. It's an industry that has to try to remake itself. I'm Molly Solomon. And I'm Aaron Baldessari. Sold Out is a production of KQED Public Media. Erica Kelly is our editor. Jessica Placzek helped produce this episode. Sound engineering and original music by Rob Spate. And our editorial leadership team at KQED includes Erica Aguilar, Ethan Tovin-Lindsay, and Holly Kernan.